You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Thomas had a hard time believing in the resurrection of the dead, and it landed him with a nickname that he will never outrun, Doubting Thomas. Now, from, a, from a certain point of view, it shouldn't surprise us at all that Jesus raised from the dead. I, I know that it's shocking that Jesus raised from the dead, and dead people tend to remain in that state. But, but from the standpoint of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the resurrection of Jesus Christ appears as a necessary outcome of the gospel stories. The entire arc of Jesus' ministry testifies to a central and dominating truth about him. And it's this. Jesus is life. He is life itself. He's the God of the living Jesus is the living God. Do you remember what the angels asked near the tomb? Why do you look for the living among the dead? And we see this all throughout Jesus' ministry. He demonstrates his power over sin, that great enemy of life and the instrument of death itself. Woman, your sins are forgiven you. And the religious leaders gasp uh, in response. He stands on the bow of a ship commands the winds and the waves to obey him, and they snap to attention. It's as if the winds and the waves say, we know that voice. Didn't that voice call us into existence? Jesus leans over the body of a a little girl. Can any scene strike at our hearts like that of a lifeless child? And Jesus whispers, Talitha kum, or little girl arise, and death gives way to life. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came to arrest him, Jesus identifies himself with two little words, ego eimi, or I am. And the crowds fall back at the force of those two words. Jesus names himself as the great I am, the same one who spoke to Moses from a burning bush, I am who I am. And let us never forget that it was at a cemetery where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or if I may gloss that famous verse in a slightly different way, I am the way, I am truth, I am life. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is the great scandal of the ages. For many, it remains the greatest hurdle to their belief. Yet Paul said, if Jesus Christ be not raised from the dead, then we are of all people most to be pitied. When I was a graduate school back in the day, um, where I, when I had more hair, uh, one of the hot topics that was surrounding our little community was a recently discovered limestone ossuary. Think um, large sort of rectangular urn that apparently contained the bones of James, uh, the brother of Jesus. The ossuary had this Aramaic inscription that said James, the brother of Jesus, and And if it was an authentic finding, this would be a significant discovery, not just because of the importance of James to the history of the church, but 
But this would have been the earliest inscription that we had bearing the name of Jesus. And one of my professors, a leading New Testament scholar and a, and a confessing Christian, those two don't always go together, I was very excited about this finding. And all the signals at the time pointed to its authenticity. Now, as an aside, it's, most think it's a forgery now. But at the moment, most, a lot of people thought it was authentic. So here was this New Testament scholar, kind of big name guy, doing a presentation to the graduate students on the ossuary. And during the presentation, I happened to be in the room, he kept flubbing his words. And he, he was saying something like this, think highbrow British accent. Uh, it's quite likely this ossuary contains the bones of Jesus. And the room would become unsettled. And then he would say it again, the bones of Jesus. And at one point he realized what he was saying and he stopped. Oops, I meant to say the bones of James. And then he had this long pause and he says, oh yes, the bones of Jesus those are the bones we don't want to find. And then the room sort of came undone with laughter. Why? The bodily resurrection of our Lord is unbelievable. It betrays all logic. It operates outside the norm of our shared experience. So we shouldn't be too hard on Thomas this morning. I think this famous doubting Thomas scene that we hear about, by the way, every year on the second Sunday of Easter needs some nuancing. Is Thomas doubting Thomas? Well, yes, he is. Rumors were spreading about Jesus being alive. Mary Magdalene had reported seeing him in the garden. The disciples were gathered together in what we might call a, a holy huddle of fear when Jesus appeared in their midst in his resurrected body. And he shows them his hands, shows them his side. This was no apparition for the disciples. It wasn't Jacob Marley's ghost come to haunt them in some Charles Dickens-like scene. This was Jesus in his resurrected body, a material thing that could be touched and could be handled. He asks for some food, and apparently Jesus, I don't understand all this, had the internal organs to be able to process it. Jacob Marley in the Christmas Carol couldn't eat if he wanted to. Spirits don't eat, but human beings do. And Thomas missed the big moment. We're not told where he was, but he wasn't there. And when they reported to him the scenario, we have seen the risen Lord, he responds with incredulity and doubt. I mean, these were fear-filled and grief-stricken men. Their world had been turned all upside down. Who's going to believe the report of these disciples? Not Thomas. Unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into those indentions and, and my hand into his riven side, and kind of take a deep breath here, Thomas says, I will never believe. So was doubting Thomas doubting Thomas? He most certainly was. Thomas was slow to believe the testimony and the witness of the apostles. But at the same time, Thomas had every reason to ask to see and to handle. He's only asking at this point in time for what the other disciples claimed that they had already experienced. 
And if you remember, it was important for an apostle to have actually seen the resurrected Christ with their own eyes. Paul calls himself an untimely apostle because he saw the resurrected Lord a bit later than all the other apostles. But seeing the resurrected Lord was important. And and let's recall, Thomas was at one point in time in the Gospels willing to go with Jesus to Jerusalem and to die with him. So what Thomas asks for, given the moment and all the confusion surrounding it, is completely reasonable. And more importantly in the story, Jesus provides for him the opportunity that he's after. Jesus tells Thomas to, to touch his hands and to put his finger into his side and and follows this invitation with a very strong and a very gracious command. Do not disbelieve, Thomas, but believe. And now, after Jesus says that, the whole doubting Thomas affair comes into much clearer view, and Jesus is letting us know what this whole scene is about. This scene is meant to be instructive, not just for Thomas, but for all of us, for you and for me. This is a scene where Jesus is teaching us about belief. Belief in the risen Lord. Don't disbelieve, Thomas. Believe. Come and touch me. See with your eyes. Handle with your hands. And Thomas stands in for all of us who couldn't see and handle the risen Lord as the hymn that we just sang announces. He's a witness to the unbelievable. And he responds with one of, if not the, greatest confession made about Jesus in the Gospels. My Lord and my God. Thomas sees the risen Lord, makes this most amazing and startling confession. You, Jesus, risen from the dead, are Lord and God. You, Jesus, are the God of the living. You, Jesus, are the one who brought the whole cosmos into existence. You, Jesus, are God, full stop. Do you believe, Thomas, asked Jesus, because you have seen me? What a great question. Jesus is a great asker of questions. And by the way, I wouldn't necessarily read into that statement or that question a sharp edge, a kind of question intended to put Thomas back in its place. Of course Thomas believes because he's seen. The incredulous is standing right before him, not as an apparition, not as a disembodied spirit, not as a religious experience, but as a risen human being. Yes, I believe because I have seen, and rightly so. But this encounter between Jesus and Thomas isn't merely for him, it's for us. Think about Thomas. He followed Jesus for three years. He heard him teach. He saw him do the miraculous. Thomas watched his Messiah die and was given that great gift of seeing Jesus Christ raised from the dead. We would expect the whole trajectory of Thomas's life as an apostle to include an encounter with the risen Lord. But what about you and me this morning? We deal with the reality of Jesus's absence. In this most incredible and personal encounter between Jesus and Thomas, Jesus has you at the forefront of his mind. How blessed are those who believe 
and have not seen. So the question is before us this morning. Well, if we don't get to see the risen Jesus like Thomas did and have that kind of empirical proof offered to him, touching and handling, then on what foundation do we rest our belief, our faith? And this is what Jesus is after for you and for me this morning. It's the question that Jesus wants to help us answer. What is the warrant for belief in the absurdity of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? And here's the answer Jesus leaves us with. We believe on the basis of what Thomas refused to believe. The testimony of the apostles and the enduring witness of the prophets. We believe because the Holy Spirit enables us to believe God's word to believe the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, that that these uh, witnesses are the unique and unparalleled witnesses to the greatest truth the universe has ever known, that the God of the living and Jesus Christ are one and the same. It's right on the heels of this Thomas story where John tells us this, many other things Jesus did. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, I used to think this was a, a kind of superlative statement about the reams of paper that would be needed to tell us all the incredible things that Jesus did, and that this is surely true. But given the Thomas narrative, John highlights something more central than the superlative. John wants us to know that what is written in John as well as Matthew and Mark and Luke, are sufficient for true understanding and belief. If you're here this morning and you want Jesus, then the Holy Scriptures and the Holy Spirit are what Jesus leaves us with. Our tendency, my tendency, if left on some sort of religious autopilot, is to make Jesus into our own image, to sort of project on him our our best selves, our best qualities. Or we'll fix ourselves on a portrait of Jesus that feels manageable and to our liking. Some might say, "I, I like gentle and caring Jesus. Me too. And he is that. But the Jesus of the Bible, the real Jesus, won't allow these kind of reductions. We have to deal with cleansing the temple, Jesus. Think about it before you invite him to the next family barbecue. Or the book of Revelation, Jesus, where he walks through the churches in Asia Minor and calls all of them to repentance. Or hard question asking, Jesus. Woman, where is your husband? The real Jesus, the God of the living, comes to us in the fullness and the breadth of the Bible and His Word, and by the effective power of the Spirit is made present actually in our midst, the risen Lord. He is alive, and He is among us. And if you're searching for Jesus today, then Jesus invites you to believe on Him because His Word is faithful and true. Jesus is alive He's the God of the living. His word is faithful and true. 
And he calls us to himself in faith and repentance again and again and again. Why? Because to be near Jesus is to be near life itself. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.